1: Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers Cash has no cash value. My husband is so annoying and I'm trapped with him. What fresh hell laughing in the face of motherhood. Stay calm and make the macaroni and cheese with Margaret Apples and Amy Wilson. And oh my goodness, we have to do the dishes again for the sixth time today a podcast that solves today's parenting dilemmas so you don't have to. How are you really? Hi, this is Margaret. And this is Amy. This week, we're talking about maintaining momentum in week five. What is that? Is it week five now? Week 80? What is it? Oh, it's either week five or week eight (laughs) hundred and ninety seven. I have to double check my
0: calendar. I'm very glad that we're doing this episode because I feel like I need to not only maintain momentum, but like remember what momentum is. I am in the inertia field. I am the giant boulder that has come to rest. Or my life is that bolder, maybe. But whatever it is, I don't feel like starting to push it again, Amy.
1: And I think it's okay to rest and take breaks. But then, like, that's your point, right? It's hard to get up again and keep going. But it's also impossible to maintain a cheery, kitchen-sweeping, book-reading happiness. The birds alighting on my shoulders as I sing a merry tune. Right. We cannot do Mary Poppins all the time.
0: I feel like Momentum has this feeling for me of like there's a panic that it induces in me right now in terms of I take a day off and then it feels like we're drowning in laundry or we skip a night of cleaning up the kitchen and suddenly like we are under attack by dishes and we'll never catch up like it does feel I'm gonna lead off strong with an oldie luxe alert back in my day It does feel to me like the scene in Indiana Jones where he's running from the boulder. Mm -hmm. Like, it's not just the inertia of the boulder that's my life, but that there is this constant boulder of, like, laundry and keeping everyone cheery and keeping the homeschool going. And oh my goodness, we have to do the dishes again for the sixth time today. Like. It feels not so much like I'm not maintaining the momentum, but that the momentum is like chasing me like a boulder. that's going to run me
1: over. Ah, that's interesting. Well, this topic came from Deborah on our Facebook group and you can find our Facebook group by going to our Facebook page, which is facebook.com forward slash WhatFreshHellCast. And the reason to join the group is that you can post stuff that's shared by all the other listeners that are in the group. So Deborah said she's finding it difficult to maintain some momentum. She says, I honestly had a few days where I stared at my phone and ignored my 10 and 13 year olds while they fought because I just couldn't muster the energy to do anything. Usually my job as a middle school teacher, even though that's highly rearranged also at this point, gives me motivation and my kids need me to motivate so they don't get down as well. But it's not always easy. It's a very strange limbo. We're in here. Deborah, I I love that same Tebra. the very strange limbo that is it so i want to sort of like talk today about what is it sort of psychologically and scientifically about this limbo that's so particular and so weird and so sort of frustrates our things that usually work for us to keep going does that make sense yes
0: and for some of us who already struggle with even having things that work for us how this might be even harder <laughs> I'm talking for a friend named Margaret <laughs> Who's on this podcast So, alright, you ready for some science? I'm going to blind you with science <sighs> I'm not ready for anything, but I'm going to try <laughs> I feel like my whole attitude right now I was talking to somebody the other day Who was like, have you tried this? Have you tried this? And I just was like, I've tried everything I've tried everything But I'm going to maintain a positive attitude, Amy Because you always have
1: suggestions that help me So I'm sure you'll have okay. Okay. No pressure like, sort of like, you know, describing the problem accurately is always the first step for me. So do you remember back in episode 142, letting others into our mess, which is a really particularly good episode, I think, if you haven't heard that one, we talked about something called cognitive mediational theory, which is that you see a snake and you get scared. But really, there's a mediational step in there, which is you see a snake. And your brain starts to tick through, what should I do? Should I scream? Should I run? Should I do that? You know, what are my options here? And it's those options or lack thereof that make you scared. And the way to get past fear is you see the snake, you scream, you run in the house, you slam the door, you live, and now your fear has provided you a way out, right? It gave you the fight or flight thing that saved your life. And now you might be a little less scared the next time you see a snake because you're going to know what to do.
0: I'm following, and now I need you to connect it for me Okay, what the heck is
1: going on right now. So letting other people into our mess, as we talked about, is very useful because like, while you're screaming because you see a snake, somebody else is looking at you out the kitchen window, and they're not afraid in the way you're afraid. So you have to go to your friends and lean on your friends and reach out because they can help you because they're not experiencing this thing like you are, and so it doesn't seem as huge, and so their perspective is helpful and useful. That is... Exactly, not the case.
0: For sure. And like to take the snake metaphor for maybe for somebody who it's not speaking to, this is why we like call our friends when a parent is sick, right? Like somebody who is a neutral party is able to
1: help us more effectively. They provide perspective. Right now, we are all. Seeing the snake, so to speak, right? Like, we are all
0: (laughs) in it. Every single one of us is standing on our lawn screaming at a snake at the same time.
1: Yes, the checkout person at the grocery store, you know, (laughs) the person who flipped you off in the parking lot. Our children. Our children, our spouses, the people we're Zooming with and trying to be... Like, we are literally all having this, like, huge, crazy thing. And so we are unable to provide perspective... To one another, and I think that makes this uniquely difficult because we're all in the same well we're not in the same difficult, obviously, right there are some people for whom this is a, a light drizzle, and some for whom this is a hurricane, but everybody in the light drizzle is like, "What if I have a hurricane next week right i mean there's nobody who's not worried at all.
0: Right. Yeah. And I would say people are in like a downpour or a hurricane, like probably, you know, I don't think anybody's in a super light drizzle because we're all dealing with the hardness of it. And the other thing to extend your metaphor that I would say is like, you see the snake on the lawn, you run inside the house, you Google the snake and you say, oh, that's just a harmless garden snake. But there's no outlet like that in this situation either, because
1: no one really knows what's happening or what's going to happen. That's right. That's exactly right. So I was listening to, um, Brene Brown's new podcast, which like she does not need the shadow, but it's very good. <laughs> and she was talking about, I recommend it as a very like non, you know, comedy, lighthearted, good perspective, but she defined calm in the episode, but she is very soothing, man. She's got a soothing voice, soothing thoughts. She's a soothing lady. Yeah, exactly. So she's like, calm is something you can practice. She says that anxiety is contagious, but so is calm. But then she defined calm as perspective, mindfulness, and the ability to manage emotional reactivity. And I thought that was a great definition. But I was also like, but what perspective? Like you said, like, there is no perspective. We're behind the tapestry. How can I be calm in this moment when I don't, when that perspective is not really Possible. You know, you can do the like, well, some people have a worse perspective, but that's not always helpful, especially when the person who has it worse is somebody who's related to you. Like, I find myself dreaming about other people. Like, I, an old friend of mine, I was dreaming that he was looking up long term unemployment benefits on the internet. (laughs) This is like an an old roommate of mine, and he was in my dream last night about that. Like, that's one of like 5,000 people I could have that dream about. And like, we're all worrying about everybody including ourselves.
0: And we don't feel that we're having as bad an experience as, I mean, you could list 400 horrible, terrible stories from every facet of this. Medical stories, loss of income stories, loss of business stories, you know, loss of connection to other stories. There are so many bad things happening that I think we also kind of give ourselves this feeling of like, well, I'm home safe with my kids. And I find myself saying that to them all the time. And they're kind of like, I get it, but this stinks. And that's the thing. Your heart is hard, as you always say. And I do think that it is hard to find perspective, but I also think that, and I keep saying this to my husband, as we have these endless conversations, that a lot of the touchstone advice that we give on the podcast that you've given me, or that someone has given me that I've shared is stuff I keep going back to. And that it all remains true, even in this very difficult time. And one of those pieces is the story you tell yourself. And myself and one of my children are the scions of negativism in the household. You know, we tend to be the people like banging our head against the wall and screaming about how much this stinks. And my husband and one of my children are the like, every day's a kind of okay day, you know, no problems, people. And then I have one kind of in the middle. And... I do think I can't tell myself the story every day that we're lucky to be healthy. We're lucky to have a comfortable place to be. I can't dismiss what's going on by positiveness that is fake because that doesn't work. But I can be a little bit careful about the story I tell myself. I can be careful about the story of my husband is so annoying and I'm trapped with him because sometimes I wake up in that story. And if I tell myself that story all day, that's how my day is going to turn out. I do understand that. Whereas if I tell myself the story of like, hey, I'm actually pretty lucky to be quarantined with a person with a pretty neutral and calm personality. (laughs) And he's actually like really pleasant to be with and pretty nice If I can find those moments, you know, my sister calls it evidence gathering that like once you start the story, if my husband is annoying all day, you're gathering evidence. And guess what? And these times you're going to find it. Yeah. But if you try to gather evidence for my husband's really trying to be so helpful, you'll find that evidence. And I feel like it's a little cliche and it's a little bit Pollyanna and sweet, but that is actually helping me. Like when I get into a dark place, the first thing I try to think to myself is change your story.
1: Well, I think sometimes we can get mad at the person that we're quarantined with when they're not experiencing what we're experiencing at the same time. Like our spouses and partners have a right to not be processing this in the same way or to have a terrible Tuesday and a really good Wednesday. And wh- where I try to get, I can get frustrated when my partner is doesn't see how desperate things are at the moment that I'm seeing them as desperate. But that's actually a wonderful thing, right? That that person can stay calm and make the macaroni and cheese is exactly what needs to happen. And then three days later, if he's like, I don't think I can take it anymore. And he's kind of, you know, hiding in our bedroom. That's OK, too. Like, we need to take turns so we can finish. We can't both feel the same way about this all the time. It's kind of better if we don't. And that's helping me get through it.
0: And you have to have that perspective, I think, which is what you were saying earlier. Like, this is actually happening to my husband, too. You know, whereas a lot of problems that you have, which is like, oh, you know, the school stuff is just dragging me down and I'm having this conflict with one of the kids teachers and I, it's taking up all my time and you can kind of dump that on your husband and give them that burden. You can't do that. <laughs> it's like, right. I'm also experiencing quarantine and a pandemic, you know, it's. That dynamic is nothing that any of us, I don't think, have ever experienced before.
1: I was reading something about, I tried to figure out who it was that wrote it because I wanted to give them proper credit because this has really stayed with me, that in this moment, it was written sort of at the beginning of all of this, that in this moment, we, for our kids, need to be, we're in the pool with them, right? And we need to be saying... Swim to me, come on, swim to me, swim to me. And you know that old trick that we all do that you like you back up a little bit, you back up a little bit and then they're swimming across <laughs> the pool and they swim across the pool and they don't know. They just think they're swimming to you and that's what we have to be for our kids in this moment. And that's a great image but the problem with that is when you're saying swim to me swim to me like you know how big your pool is or the pool that you're in right even if it's enormous you know where the wall is you can sense how far behind you it is or not you know how far you and your kid have to go and if they can handle it or not there's no wall behind us here we have no idea (laughs) how far we're asking them to swim and that makes this much much harder
0: and also Again, I'm just going to keep extending your metaphors as you lay them down, Amy. In that pool, your feet are on the ground and you're stable. You're right. (laughs) I feel like in this pool, you're (laughs) kind of in a dark ocean that's quite wavy. Like It's just that what makes this hard is like, right, your role, one's role as a mom is to say, you know, I am the keeper of the umbrellas. I am the tender of the hearth. And now you're like, everything's on fire. I have no umbrellas. It's a hurricane. You know, I mean, Mm -hmm. I think a lot of the metaphors are difficult, but this is where the storytelling helps me in terms of like, okay, I can find a lot of moments in the day where I have my feet on the bottom of the pool. I can't really control the macro of how this all turns out, but I can control what's going on in my house, in my house. In my space, I do have my feet on the bottom of the pool. Uh In the realm of questions about how does this turn out? When does life get back to normal? Is there ever going to be an end to this? I'm in wavy territory. But there are many times of the day where in handling the day-to-day, I do have my feet on the bottom of the pool. And I can be that person saying swim to me.
1: So we have to talk about how to find more of those moments during the day, right? We're not going to be there all the time, but how to find those moments. So why don't we talk about that more? I think that's right. All right. We'll be right back. Margaret, I've got a go-to baby shower gift that I give whenever there's another newborn in my life. Can you guess what it is? Amy, three guesses. First two don't count. It's Pampers Swaddlers. while Start your Hero Bread bundle on their website and get 10% off your order. Go to hero.co and use the code MOTHERHOOD at checkout. I like this bread, people. It's h-e-r-o.co
0: and code MOTHERHOOD for 10% off your order of Hero Bread. Okay, we're back, Amy. What are you going to help us find now? Something very
1: crucial, I hope. Oh, moments where our feet are on the bottom of the pool. Let's do it. Yes. Moments where our feet are on the ground. But first of all, I do want to like continue to just highlight that this really is hard for moms in a difficult way because we're doing this not just for ourselves, but the people around us. There was a study in the Lancet. I'll put the link on the show page. They sort of have collected like, here's what we have found out from China so far. They're a couple months ahead of us. They're coming out of it, we hope. You know, here's what we've been able to glean. And they did a study that showed that the mental health impact of extended isolation was higher in cases where parents were quarantined with children. And the other thing that was interesting is they found... Hashtag agree. Yes, hashtag agree. And they also backed up something you said, I think it was last week, you surmised that it might be even harder to quarantine with one kid than with no kids, or with multiple kids. And that was, in fact the case. So they said one kid is hardest. They said one kid is harder than multiple kids. I mean, the study that seems great right to me, people coming out of it, you know, reported how hard it was for them, how bad they're like, their stress levels were and still are PS. And yes, the parents with one kid at home seem to have had the highest stress levels during and after than people who had either no kids or people who had multiple kids who at least sometimes can entertain one another. So if you're a mom with one kid. And age is sure. important. Sure. Because
0: I mean, I have friends who have like one 12-year-old and it's not that bad. That kid's reading a lot. One four-year-old, very, very hard. Yes. Very hard. Or like a four-year-old and a baby. Like any child who can't play alone. That's really, really hard.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, these things are hard. And I also want to give a shout out to like the sort of invisible work that we talk about all the time. That stuff is becoming really crucial right now and we're doing more of it. And I mean, I'm sure you've seen all the writing about like in this time as we're all doing a lot more cooking and cleaning and housework and everybody's home all the time, there's more laundry and da, da, da. In almost every household, The woman in a, you know, heterosexual relationship, the woman is taking on more of the work because, of course, if somebody has a sick kid, the woman is putting off her conference calls, is making dinner, is worried about, like, if it's the mom's night to be in charge of dinner, she's like, okay, we have two cans of mushrooms and some egg noodles. I guess I could do a thing and I really have to use up that little bit of beef. And when it's the dad's night to order in, it's pizza. That's not always the case, but it's often the case. And that is... Hard And just because this is a mom's podcast, I want to say like, yeah, I get it. We see it. It's real. Oh, guys, we see it. Some of our listeners wrote in the Facebook group about how it really wasn't so bad at first, but now maybe feeling a little bit different. Diva said, do you know that touched out feeling? I'm absolutely noised out. I'm going insane. And then Rachel said, I'm touched out, noised out, questioned out. It's torture.
0: Yeah. I mean, I remember my sister-in-law saying that to me years and years ago before I had kids. Like, it's very hard to maintain like a nice relationship with your husband when she had four kids. You know, like you're breastfeeding and someone's on your body all day, every day. Like, you're just like the last thing you're looking for is a sense of touch at the end of the day. And that's right, you're kind of everything out. Your stories about Pokemon out. Your how the Marvel universe is set up out. Like. I feel like when you only have your kids talking to you a couple of hours a day, you can keep that fake smile on your face during the talk about how Minecraft works, but it's a lot of time listening to these people. Mm -hmm. And they're making... You don't even realize... I remember I went to a back-to-school night, and one of the teachers was like... You need to talk to your kids about the humming. Like, she could not take any more humming, you know, in a class. And I remember kind of at the time being like, oh, that's a little intense. But man, she wasn't wrong. It's just five people. (laughs) Let me say three people who make noise all the time. It's a lot. I remember my freshman year roommate was... I don't know what the word for it is, but she constantly made noise. I mean, she hummed. She talked to herself. So I would be trying to study in the room and she, oh, look at this. Maybe I should wear these leggings. She just always (laughs) made noise. And it was the most frustrating relationship of my life. And I eventually traded out of that room. I couldn't take it anymore. And that's what I live with now all the time. Someone is always making noise in this house.
1: I had a child who the nursery school teacher mentioned to me, like, did you notice that your child hums while they eat? And I was like, no, because they ate lunch together in the classroom. And it was only after she mentioned it that I was like, oh, I guess he does. Like at the dinner table, like <laughs> like constantly while he was eating. Oh, my condolence is horrible. Well, now, you know, yeah, now I have noticed. I mean, that child who is a teenager who is spending a lot of time not with me right now, which is often a saving grace. But then there's also sometimes we're spending together that are very nice. And I did notice that while doing a puzzle that this same child now much older, was going, (laughs) doing the puzzle.
0: Amy, this makes me think that we need to do a survey on the Facebook page that is, what is your new quarantine phrase? Because (laughs) what you're making me realize, and I had never thought of this until we were just talking about right now, is my new quarantine phase is who's ever making that noise, please stop. I say that eight to 12 times a day, every single day. Because It's in the car. Someone's just ticking something against something else, just knocking a spoon against a window. Like, yes, whatever it is, someone is always making a noise. And I don't think before this started, I've ever said that. And now easily 12 times a day. Who's ever making that noise? Please stop is my quarantine phrase.
1: I've got one mouth noisemaker and definitely one like, how can I make noise with this object I have in my hand? Like pen tapper, like foil cruncher. (laughs) like Just Yeah. (laughs)
0: Yeah, I feel you. Before this started, I had a child. This was probably six months ago. And I said, what are you doing? And she said, oh, I figured out I can make this really annoying noise with my mouth. And she was just doing it (laughs) because she figured out she could. And now that's everybody all the time. My husband and I like to do jigsaw puzzles together. And like, I mean, it's been said before, but I really have yelled at him three times. Like, why are you breathing like that? But he's just breathing. But it's very annoying to listen to other people 24 hours a day.
1: Everybody has misophonia now. It used to be just a couple of us. Now it's... Yes, we've talked about that on the podcast. It's a weird thing that Amy has where noises annoy you, but we all have it now. We're all sufferers. Right, only these certain noises and sometimes like only certain people making those noises. It's, you know, and you know it's you, so you work on it. But yeah, now it's, I'm hearing a lot more people talk about it all of a sudden. A lot of uh, forced exposure.
0: And it's the kind of thing, we've also talked about this, that I used to be a marathon runner. And when I was trying to get to, you know, 20 six miles, you would run as far as you can, and then you would stop running, and then you would start running again when you felt you could run again. But every time you start running, you can run shorter, right? So like, you may take off and be able to run three miles. Mm -hmm. But then once you stop, you take off and you only run another mile, but then you stop and then you only run a half a mile, like you're getting weaker. And I feel like noise tolerance is the same way. Like, (laughs) In the beginning, I could tolerate annoying noises for maybe a minute, but now I can only tolerate annoying noises for like 0.4 seconds.
1: I was thinking about the marathon because having never run a marathon, but I, you know, have had many people who have run the New York City Marathon and you're getting really tired and you're running up First Avenue and I think it's like mile 19 or something. You're getting pretty tired. It's a bad mile, Amy. It's a real bad mile. I've done it. It's a bad mile, but First Avenue is like wall to wall people, you know, cheering and waving. And you know you can do it because even though there's this really bad hill ahead in the Bronx, you're at mile 19. You're like, I know how much farther I have to go. And We're back to our favorite metaphor. <laughs>
0: how long is this marathon exactly? Right. Are we in mile one or mile 24? We're probably not in mile 24.
1: No. Heaven help us. I hope we're not in mile one. But yeah, we don't know how long. And so it's impossible to calibrate your reserves of strength and patience when you don't know how long you're going to need them for. So I just feel like we kind of need some new rules. Can I ask you something else? Uh, Sure, Amy. Why not? Just don't ask, how's it going? That's my advice. (laughs) How are you really? That's what I want to (laughs) know. No, you don't want to know. We don't have that kind of time, Amy. I have talked on the show many times about how Margaret can talk a dog off a meat wagon. Like you go anywhere with Margaret and she gets immediately into truly deep, meaningful, funny, heartfelt conversations with literally like whoever is standing behind you in line. Like, you know, like you just do that. You just talk to people and connect with people. And I am very happy to, you know, turtle shell it more. Do you think this is harder for people like you than for people like me, this extended isolation?
0: Yes, I do. <laughs> I mean, I'm always wary. I was having this conversation with my sister the other day, who's kind of cut more from your cloth. I'm always wary. I feel like we've talked on the podcast about people who say, I'm that kind of person who blah, 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 because they're almost always wrong. You know, people who are like, I'm the kind of person who is very, you know, shy. You're like, I don't see you as shy, whatever. Yes. But people are bad self definers. And I also think it's always dangerous to say, this is harder for me than it is for other people, because it's always easier to think it's harder for you than for other people. But my sister was saying to me the other day, I think this is probably harder for you than most people. And I almost started crying because I, I thought, I think this is really much harder. <laughs> I really, I feel like a plant that is dying without water and sunshine. Like I, my need for a variety of human contact during the day and my... Desire to speak and learn about different people constantly is a much bigger part of my life than I realized before this happened. And I, it's really. Getting me depressed,
1: Yeah, and then it's something that Zoom happy hours or whatever don't entirely f- fill because I see that in you, this like true curiosity about every human you encounter. How can I make friends with this person, learn about this person? What can I talk to them about? Like you just do that more than almost anybody I've ever met. And, and
0: you literally can't do that. I mean, I went out the other day, there's a sandwich store down that I can walk to and I walked over and they have it nicely set up so that you're outside of a window and you order your food. And you don't Realize I haven't been out that much. My husband usually does the grocery runs. I was wearing a mask. Now you have to wear a mask in New York. I was wearing a mask, and the person behind the counter was wearing a mask, and we're standing six feet apart. And I was just trying to order a sandwich. And normally, as Amy says, that would be for me if there was no line. How's it going? How's the story going? Like, I would learn that in person's entire life history. And instead, I was like, avocado. And he says, (laughs) what? And like, I'm acting it out because you don't realize how much you read people's. You cannot have a casual conversation with another person in this time at all. It's true. And the Zoom thing for me, like I, the lack of, I do Zooms with a ton of people and it's fine, but even Zoom is not the same. You can't, even at a cocktail party in general, or even at a family gathering in general, I like to, chat with somebody for a half an hour and then chat with someone else. It's like the turn-taking conversation that's involved. It's not my forte. I'm definitely <laughs> struggling. I think what I need to do is just someone needs to invent like a random, like a Zoom chat randomizer where I would just get paired with a different person every five minutes. Oh, that's a good idea. I'd be Like, hey, what's up? What's your story? Someone invent that app, please, for me. I think
1: you should. You should get the credit for that.
0: I don't, Amy. Amy, please. I'm barely getting <laughs> through the days. I can't invent an app right now. I'm hoping one of our listeners will run with this because I would love that if there was a Zoom randomizer where I could just, it would like, you know, boom, and it would stop on someone and I could be like, where do you live? What's
1: up? How's it going there? That would be my heaven. Just to take the other side for a minute, Marianne on our Facebook page said it's not so easy for introverts either. She said that my almost nine-year-old is my very chatty shadow and... I think that's hard, too. I don't really miss talking to strangers and making small talk. I do not need that cup filled. But But why is it hard for introverts? Because extroverts are talking to them? Because their extroverted child is quarantined at home with them. Yes. (laughs) Like what you were saying before
0: about, like, let me tell you about Minecraft. Apologies. Just thank God you're not quarantined with me. My husband (laughs) is so sick of me. It's not pretty (laughs) over here, guys. All right. We'll be right back. and now some quarantine metaphors from the what fresh All podcast listen people it's not a sprint it's a marathon but the only thing is that you don't in this marathon actually know where the finish line is like this marathon might be seriously like 4 500 miles long you literally have no way of knowing Oh, and also in this marathon, no one is cheering for you from the sidelines. Instead, the people on the sidelines are children who are telling you that you're not as good at fractions
1: as their real teacher. It's like you've been rolling the boulder of your life and now it's come to a complete stop. So it's hard to get that boulder moving. In fact, it's so hard to get it moving that it's actually moving backwards, straight towards you and then crushing you under its weight. So I guess I'm saying it's like being crushed, crushed by a really heavy boulder. When you think about quarantine, it's a lot like going to the gym. Do you want to go to the
0: gym? No, no, you do not. But the thing is when you do go to the gym, you know what you do? You get stronger. I mean, except for that at this gym, literally whenever you try to talk to another person, the only thing they will talk to you about is sourdough starter. And also when you try to leave, the doors are locked from the outside.
1: I like to think of quarantine like a long winter, and we're all just waiting for spring to come. Like, you know how in winter, sometimes the snow gets really, really deep and covers all the doors so you can never, never get outside. And it's like a really tiny cabin, you know, like that kind of winter. And also, inside the cabin, there's a child, and he never, ever stops talking about Pokemon. Okay, whoever is making that noise, please stop. This has been Quarantine Metaphors from the What Fresh Hell podcast. Okay, so time to talk about what will actually work in this moment. Amy, I'm gonna try. As I've said before, I feel
0: like currently in my mindset, I am not quote, available to learn, unquote. But since this is an advice <laughs> podcast and we're trying not to just take people on a 45-minute listen to Margaret complain journey, I am going to try to open my heart and my mind to your advice and suggestions.
1: It's We're going to reset what the momentum is that we need to maintain.
0: Okay, but before we do that, I want to just give a quick shout out to all my okay. people on Facebook who supported the fact that I don't like seeing ugly people in movies and that I hate <laughs> cooking. My sisters who took my side and gave me companionship in that dark time, thank you. I salute you.
1: Yeah, you need to know. You need need to know you're an extrovert. You need to know those people are out there for you. Love it. So Paul Ollinger says that we should imagine ourselves on a, you know, very long flight with a cranky baby, maybe ear infection, maybe uh, throwing up on you. We can all, I'm sure, put ourselves in that place very easily And Paul Ollinger is the host of Crazy Money Podcast, by the way. This was actually an article he wrote for Medium. He said, this flight that we are all on is very much delayed, that travel conditions are, to put it mildly, suboptimal, and that each of us in this moment should have in mind only one goal, to arrive safely and in one place. If you are on that plane with a throwing up baby, like all you have to do is get there, right? You are not going to listen to Duolingo while you're in the air. You were doing one thing. Right. This is not the time to be Amy with your laptop open, like
0: updating all your spreadsheets while you're flying with the vomiting baby. That's right. I will say the metaphor of the plane flight gives me like unbelievable panic attacks in terms of just the... It's not your favorite place. Well, I had a very bad plane flight once that I think I've discussed. I was once on a play with all my kids and we got in a horrible storm and got hit by lightning and it was awful. And so any thought of being stuck on a plane at my panic level is not a helpful metaphor for me. <laughs> but I take the larger point, which is, I think this is something that I really need to think about right now is... We can just sum up, I believe, Mr. Oliver. Olinger. Is that his name? Ollinger. Mr. Olinger's point, don't be extra. And I think that that's what I need to remember because I think that I'm, I just found today that I went to exercise and I'm having a lot of trouble with my exercising.
1: Amy, are you finding this to be true? Exercise harder? Yes. That you're not exercising at your same usual level. Yes. Yes. I'm out of breath sooner. I don't want to do it sooner. (laughs) All of it.
0: Yeah. And I'm getting bored, like, which is making me laugh. Even like a 40 minute, like walk on the treadmill after 20 minutes, I'm bored. And I'm like, what am I bored for? What am I rushing back to? Like more of the kids yelling? I mean, I would think that I would find it very much a respite right now. And I am not finding it that way. And so I'm finding myself getting into the story of since I can't do a 40 minute hard workout, I'll do nothing at all. And that's a problem. I need to do. 20 minutes every day of a little bit of something. But I have a little bit of a feeling of like, well, then I fail the test. So that's not fun. There is no test. No one's testing me.
1: Well, what he says is that we, you know, that yes, we should not take unreasonable and optimistic goals on at this time because we are already operating at a very high level. Deborah, who introduced this topic on the Facebook page in the first place, who spent an afternoon ignoring her kids and looking at her phone, is operating at a very high level. She is ushering her family through weeks and weeks of this situation. And so like, yeah, you have to remember that if you can't also do the workout to your usual level, like, of course not. You've got cortisol coursing through you. I am not a physician, but (laughs) there's bad stuff happening right now. Nor did you stay at a Holiday Inn last night, but you are willing to give medical (laughs) advice. I'm going to hold forth. Our bodies are not acting the way that they're supposed to be acting right now, but I want to give you an exercise thing that actually helped me. I was taking an exercise class today and it was one of those like, okay, now let's do some burpees. Oh, no, I will never do some burpees. Now let's get our heart rate down. Now let's do this. And she was saying as you were going through like a mountain climber thing that you don't want to be doing. And like I said, I am not operating at my usual level right now, but I'm doing what I can do. And she was like, the moment that you want to stop, notice that. You want to escape. You want to take a breather. You want to look at your phone. You want to stop. You can't stop. You have to keep going. And that she used that as a metaphor also for this moment of, oh, I want to stop. It made me think, one, she's right, but two okay, so then I will stop when I want to. I will look at my phone when I want to because I'm in this larger you know, amusement park ride that I cannot get off. I'm going to look at my phone once in a while and not feel guilty about it.
0: Also, the differentials in your stuff, it's like I tend to think of, okay, either Pinterest dinner or takeout failure. And the fact of the matter is hot dogs with some of those like crackly peas out of a bag, it's fine. It's not such a big deal. And walking for half an hour and running for 30 minutes, it's not like one's good and the other's bad. They're actually pretty close to each other, really. So just, you know, there used to be, do you remember the old Ready for an Oldie Locks Alert, Amy? Oh boy, yes. Back in my day, old Saturday Night Live skit that was about, it was a dating show called Lowered Expectations.
1: I think that was bad TV
0: oh it probably was mad tv you're exactly right but it's old deluxe either way oh it's so old i don't remember but it was like a (laughs) dating service and it was like lowered expectations and the idea was you know this is the only way you're really gonna find someone and the lowered expectations song comes into my head like 14 times a day now and i just think to myself it might be time to lower my expectations
1: It's the only way. It's the only way forward, like in the dating joke. Yeah. Like, it's okay to sit down for a while. Like, maintaining consistent, like, staying on the Peloton for 60 minutes. And it gets... The thing about taking a spinning class is it's easier 15 minutes in than it was right at the beginning, right? Like, as your wheel goes around more and more, there's something about that that keeps you moving. I don't think that we should be applying those principles of physics and you know, metaphoria to the current moment because I don't think they apply. Wait, I also think I horribly disagree with your premise. A spin (laughs) class gets easier 15 minutes in? Don't you think that like the first like two minutes of a spin class, you're like, I can't do, like it's hard to make the wheel go around and your legs are tired and then 15 minutes in, you're fine? Not you, huh? I don't think so. I think it's all torture. I'll table
0: that. I mean, I think the two minutes before it begins is the hardest. <laughs> like getting there right. is the hardest, but then it's all hard. I don't know that the first two minutes is easier. Well, can I give you another bit of advice? I guess, Amy. <laughs> I mean, I'm trying to stay open hearted. I'm not going to lie. I'm trying. I'm really trying. And no, you don't have to like any of this. None of this has to work for anybody. Your advice is not going to be more grateful, right? No. That for the things I have? No. Okay, that's the advice I don't want no, anymore. this is some
1: neuroscience advice. It's not mine. Okay. I'm going to try to be available to learn. Available to learn. It's going to make you feel better. Okay. So Dr. Judson Brewer says... Come on, Dr. Judson Brewer. In this moment of extended, you know, stress with no clear endpoint. Hellaciousness. Hellaciousness. When it comes to information, the closer to now that you stay, the more clearly you will be able to think. We call this, and I
0: wrote a blog post about it, and I'll try to find it. We call this next lamppost. Ah. And we've talked to you about it before on the podcast. When you're doing long distance running training, so I used to run marathons. Now I can't even be in a spin class for 10 minutes, but I used to be a runner. And we used to always just say next lamppost, next lamppost. Like you can't run five more miles. That's impossible. But you can run to the next lamppost. And so you just have to make it bite sized. Yeah. And so there are periods of one's life. I have given this advice to people all the time. And I always describe it as next lamppost is you're in the middle of a horrible breakup with like the person you thought you were going to marry and they just left you. And it's Horrible. You can't worry about anything else but getting through the next hour, you know, whatever horrible thing. And this is for all of us next
1: lamppost time. I mean, it's a classic 12 step advice, too, right? Like one day at a time. It is corny, but it works. And so, you know, what Dr. Brewer is saying, like, is don't worry about will there be college from my junior a year from now? Will there be summer camp in two months? Will there be right like, will there be this kind of test by next week? I don't know. But I can decide what's for dinner. I can go walk the dog for 20 minutes. I can bring the closer to now very close to me and not worry about the rest of it. That is helping me, I have to say.
0: It's helpful. This is something my kids are struggling with, and we have developed a language around it that I think is working pretty well. My anxiety dude right now, it's a lot of this. Like, what if it never comes back? What if we're never going back to school? What if next summer we can't blah, blah, blah? And... It's a little hard for him to hear this. Like, let's just worry about today. That's not his strong suit. And it's not the way his mind is operating around this thing. But we have a conversation that we go back to called, is mommy worried about this? (laughs) And so it helps them frame it a little bit. Like, what if we never go back to school? Okay, is mommy worried about that? No, I know that you are going back to school. And so I'm not worried about that at all. Like, what if the big family trip We decided to once as a family do Disney World. We're supposed to do it in September. What if that trip gets canceled? Is mommy worried about it? I'm medium worried about it. But what I keep thinking is, even if we can't do it this September, we will just postpone it and it'll be even more fun Mm -hmm. when we do it, Mm -hmm. you know, and somehow putting it on myself, it helps them see it in a different way. And like mommy knows what to worry about and what not to worry about. And I'm still doing this with my 11 year olds. You know, I mean, I think it helps them frame it. I love this, and do I have a mommy that I can make sure is worrying about this stuff? Okay. <laughs> you can call me Amy, and I'll be like, is mommy worried about the fact that you may never be able to go to a hair salon again? <sighs> Mommy's not that worried about it, Amy. Don't worry.
1: Uh, and then the trick is to go be by ourselves and not worry about it, right? To not pretend not to worry about it.
0: Well, that is the hard thing, too, though. But you're joking, but literally, I mean, I feel like part of becoming a mother is... I have, in my adult life, often found myself in situations where I thought to myself, (laughs) when does the parent come? You know, my husband and I were involved in a very bad accident, and I remember dealing with many things about that accident. And I'm like, this is the part where I call my mommy or daddy to come do this for me, you know, but I'm at that point, a 35 year old woman, you know, a 3,500 miles away from my parents. And, you know, I've organized funerals for family members. And I'm always like, wait, when does the mom come and do this? When does the dad come? Like, even as a middle aged woman, I still often have the feeling of like, when does someone to come and take care of me? And I think that this situation is very, very taxing for us in that way. Of like, there you really are the
1: top of the mountain and there's no one else. Yes, we spend, that's why it's so hard for us as moms in this moment, because we're spending our days taking care of little ones and taking on their anxieties and reassuring them. You know, you were just carrying a lot right now. And And our usual outlets, like they come to the top of the mountain
0: to see the guru, which is us. Right. And normally we can go out and then go to the top of our own mountains, which are maybe still our parents, maybe our best friends, maybe a trusted, but like, you're really missing that experience of like, you're just the top of the mountain and there's no top of the mountain for you.
1: Right. And it's a lot more helpful when you go to your best friend. And as we were saying earlier, and she can stand completely outside it and give you relaxed advice and not be like, you think that's bad. No. She's like, sorry, ma'am, I've got problems of my own. Right. It sounds terrible at your house, but let me tell you, I ain't got time for this. That's just where we are. And so I think that I've come around to thinking that instead of trying to figure out how to maintain momentum, we should instead give ourselves the grace to sit on the couch and ignore our kids for an afternoon to not maintain momentum to go a little sideways on this because we don't know how long it will be. And we have to figure out a new way of getting through this that our old sort of chestnuts don't necessarily hold up for.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think some of the like parenting chestnuts in terms of like, figure out, you know, lots of advice of like figuring out how things work day to day still do hold up. But the idea, and I think Amy, that this is a first for our podcast. I think usually like we start on a topic such as maintaining momentum and we think, well, yes, we should do that. How? And that we're solving this one by being like, yeah, let's not do that. Don't don't maintain momentum. Yeah. It's really not about maintaining momentum right now. It's about... Getting through the day. It's really just about like whatever gets you through the day. And there is no, we've talked about before, secondary expectations. Like don't run a marathon and think that you're going to lose weight. You know, don't go to a party and think you're going to meet your husband there, whatever it is. Like when you attach a secondary expectation, you ruin the joy of the experience by attaching this other expectation to it. This is not even a joyful experience. Like, attaching secondary expectations to, I'm going to be the best homeschooler. I'm going to keep up with the Pinterest moms who are making, you know, themed meals every night and printing out. I had a friend last night on a Zoom call say, she's like, you know, for the first two weeks, I printed out menus. Like she thought like, oh, this will be fun. We'll make a cafe in the kitchen every night. And she's like, oh yeah, yeah, that's long gone. Now it's like cereal for dinner again. Right. But you don't have to make this... Not happening. You don't have to make it fun. You don't have to make sure that they are the best at homeschool. You don't even have to homeschool them if it's not working for you.
1: No. You do not have to get closer as a family while you're doing this. You just have to do it. But I do think like in
0: actually talking this through, Amy, I have had some of that revelation of like it stinks for everybody and it's okay that it stinks and that your only job is to go to bed at night and
1: wake up the next morning and do it again. (laughs) Like There is no other expectation. The one I'm going to take away from this is Paul Ollinger's quote that you are already operating at a very high level. I'm going to put that in my kitchen somewhere I can see it. <laughs> I am already operating <laughs> at a very Mom, can I have a snack? I am already operating at a very high level.
0: <laughs> Love it. Yep. Guys, we want to know how you're not maintaining momentum. <laughs> Our Facebook group right now is such a great place. Come to facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash what fresh hell and join our Facebook group because it is where all the cool Quarantine moms are hanging out. They're exchanging funny memes. They are giving each other support. And they are being cool, fun people. And they are
1: not ever being mean to people or we make them leave. <laughs> That's right. It's an oasis for these times. It's an oasis in the store. It's a port in the storm. We're also on Instagram at Hellcast, And you can always find us on our website, WhatFreshHellPodcast.com. Guys, follow us everywhere. Check us out. And we can't wait to talk to you next week. So long
3: no one told us the truth about parenthood why this is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here there is a lot to unpack i'm rachel shepardota and i am your host for the podcast no one told us where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us.
4: Hi there, I'm Andrea Owen, self-help author with 19 translations of my books, global keynote speaker, and life coach. My podcast, Make Some Noise, has been serving up self-help in a simple to digest way for the last decade.